0: Judy, thank you for leading us in a great time of prayer. Um, Lord's with us this morning. Um, uh, by the way, welcome, uh, all you guys who are sojourners and those of you who are not. Um, it's important, it's something we've, that the people of God have been doing for thousands of years is to gather together and to point to Jesus, gather together and point to God, to worship God, call others in together to, to the presence of the Lord and in their people's lives are changed. And he's already changing lives today. I, I commend Jesus to you today. I tell you that he is the greatest hope uh, today. He is, he is the greatest excitement and the greatest thrill. Uh, and uh, so let's, let's press on in to Jesus and what he wants to do. This entire service we have is to be a worship service. Um, the, from the time of, of the singing uh, to the time of communion we have at the end. The time of when sojourners give financially and, and the, the message. All of it. Is supposed to be uh, in a response to God, uh, the way that we worship Him. Uh, if you're uh, if you're new to Sojourn, I know there's some guests that are here. Uh, welcome, it's good to have you. Um, we uh, uh, would love to to know that you're here. Uh, one of the ways to do that is there's cards that are on the front table uh, that you could fill out and either put in the box that's in the back, or there'll be baskets that are passed at the end, and that's for our Sojourn as for our Sojourn family uh, as as we give. Uh, and that's part of our worship, so don't feel intimidated by that a bit. But uh, feel free to put that in there. Also, at the end, if you're new to sojourn and maybe you're not used to uh, communion being done on a Sunday morning or if you've been to churches where they do communion but it's only for them, that's not the case here. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer, communion is for you. You don't have to be a sojourner. It Actually, that's the whole point is we have Jesus in common. We have a common union. And so we will celebrate. And at the end, we are, we're going to celebrate it uh, and and we will be singing in a way that is celebratory of the grace that God has extended to us. That we'll be uh, proclaiming. We'll pro- we proclaim the broken body of Jesus. We proclaim the spilled out blood, as gory as it is. That that's our only hope. And uh, so we're, we're excited about that. So let's pray, and uh, we're going to press forward, right? Um, God, uh, thank you for coming. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Lord. Um, we know that you're everywhere. We know that you actually live inside the lives of, uh, of, your, of your children, your sons and daughters. Um, but there is a manifest presence of God. When the people come together, they abandon themselves. They abandon their problems. They put their baggage down and they just bow at the foot of the cross. They bow their minds, their hearts. And God, that's what we want to do. Even now, we bow. We bow before you. We even bow before your word, Lord. Uh, because it's it's not the Bible. It's not the text or the, the, the ink or the, the pages or the leather uh, that binds it. Uh, it's that it's your, it's your voice, Jesus. And so we bow before you and your voice today that you would speak today, Lord, that you would even use uh, a, a fallible man like me, God, to proclaim your truth, Lord. So do even that miracle today to change lives, moving through a man but speaking your voice, God. It's you that's the hero of the story today, God. Bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. We're in the middle of a a series called Chasing the Wind uh, where we are taking notes from a man that's called the teacher or the preacher. Some have called him the philosophy professor. Um, Some have even named him as being Solomon. I believe it was Solomon. uh, that This is one of the books that that he wrote. Uh, But we've been walking through uh, this book, we're going to get through the entire book of Ecclesiastes 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, just feel free to jump up. Go grab one uh, at the front table. Um, today, we're going to focus on unanswered questions. Um, for some, this means the kind of things that you like to, to debate about. Uh, the things where you just, you know, it's, it's not something uh, that that has a real effect on you, but, but you like taking a side on it, and you, and you debate about it. But for others... Unanswered questions. There, there are things in your life that are stumbling blocks that man you just can't get past. Um, For others, they're points of paralysis. That it's like I, I just I can't move. I'm I'm trapped because of this unanswered question. And so you got a full range of where unanswered questions are. Here are a few of mine Um, from from years past. Some things that I've just I've questioned. I'm like God, why or what? Uh, One of them was. Uh, God, why did, why did my father get leukemia and die when I was three months old to where I never knew my father? Why? Another one was, why was I, why was I uh, exposed to porn by six years old? Why? Another one was, why did I get a bone disease at about 13 years old, which knocked me out of full contact sports that I loved? Why? You know? So you got some big ones, you got some small ones, and there. what are yours? What are some of the ones that, I mean, maybe, again, at the point of just absolutely, it's a stumbling block. It's a, it's a stop sign in your life. Or, or even just the things that you just, you wonder all the way to the place of, of paralysis. And what, what do you do with them? I mean, do you, are they up front in your life every day to where you can't do anything? Or are they areas in which it's like, you just ignore it completely. It's just like, well, I'm putting it aside. I'm not dealing with it because I'm afraid of what the answer may be. Or I'm afraid that, that God may not be big enough to really answer the, the questions, and so you hide it. And both those extremes are not healthy. We need, we need to be able to face the unanswered questions in our lives. And sometimes we get answers. Sometimes sometimes we don't. How do you, how do you get to a place where you can also embrace mystery as, and embrace in a way to where you appreciate it? To where you say, all right, God, I am okay with you not revealing everything to me. That is a place of faith in your life where you can say that. Say, all right, God, I, I'm, I don't know everything. I'm not going to know everything. I want you to reveal everything you want me to know, but I'm okay. And, and, and that's a big tension in my life and maybe even in your life. And I, I'll throw out a concept to you. I, I've mentioned this before. Um, one of, when I'd say, um, one of our um, professors that speaks into our church here, his name's Tim Keller, and he's a pastor out of Manhattan. And he talks about what he calls a Stepford God, um, uh, where he says that, that what we do many times is we try to do like the, the movie The Stepford Wives. Uh, how many, all right, first of all, how many of you guys are familiar with that movie, either the old one or the newer one? Uh, the, the concept in all that was, was there was men who they, they made, either they changed their wives or they created these robotic wives that weren't even, they killed their wives and made, made new ones, and they had to say yes to everything. And it's like whatever it is that that husband wanted, that wife would say yes to and, and would, would do. And that what we do is we have a tendency to treat God that way, to where it's like, all right, God, you need to do what I say is logical. And even, even, if, you, even if you don't do what I think you should do, you better at least let me know what's going on. We, we try to make him a step for God. And, and that's no God at all. It's not a God. And so that's something where we wrestle with the sovereignty of God, like this book uh, helps us to do a lot. So let's take a look at, uh, at this book, chapter 6 of Ecclesiastes. Uh, verse 1, There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is a vanity. It's a grievous evil. Uh, Don Carson said this. He said, wealth does not guarantee its own enjoyment. Wealth does we not guarantee its own enjoyment. We've got at least two issues here in, in what uh, the professor, uh, what Solomon is telling us here. Um, one issue is that there's different stories of life some people live for a long time some have short lives some work hard and they hardly get by some are lazy and have vast inheritances that have been given to them some are good and they deserve the blessings they get some are just flat wicked and it just you're puzzled because they've got such prosperity so to speak and this is life I mean, Solomon is not hes not offering the answers to all that. He's just saying, look, this is it. This is it. This is the way that life is. This is life in the broken world. Life in a broken world. That theme just over and over and over again in Ecclesiastes. Broken people in a broken world. Broken people in a broken world. This is not the way God created it. It's not the way it was before there was a huge fall, a big thud, like Mark Driscoll talks about, that has changed everything. And so as a result, life is not fair. And so we see that in the diversity of stories in life. A second issue I think that this kind of points to is how do you enjoy what you have? I mean, by, I, because it points to a person that has a lot of things and yet there's, there's no power to enjoy them. There's no power. And, and so it begs the question that Solomon deals before and he's going to deal with this afterward and, the, and Scripture deals with as well is that joy is not found in what you have. Joy is found in who you're attached to. It's, in, it's, a, it's associated with who your God is. And so how do we enjoy what we have? We've got to enjoy the one who gave us what we have. If we seek to find pleasure only through our possessions or our relationships or our experiences, they'll be fleeting at best. They'll provide a modicum. They'll provide a time of pleasure. But if we enjoy the one who gives us the people and the stuff and the experiences, then we have joy even if the possessions disappear, even if the relationships go away, even if the experiences take a nosedive. Then our joy is anchored anchored on on God himself rather than the stuff we have. Let's go to verse 3. even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. Now, there's, there's kind of a, a main point in here, and there's a sub-point I'll get to in just a second. This, this first little part, in verse 3 there, a the man fathers a hundred children, lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. He has no burial. I say this stillborn child is better off than he. And so, the first, first thing to take note of in here that, is that Solomon's saying it's better not to live than to live without true satisfaction. It's better not to live at all rather than to live without satisfaction. Now that begs a huge question, is how do you define what that satisfaction is? Because if you can go completely off the ranch by defining satisfaction your own way and just saying, well, okay, then, then I should... I don't, I've given up hope. I, I don't even need, need to live. It's vital that you understand what, what real satisfaction is. Where does real meaning come from? And, and I'm not going to rehash everything, but the, the preacher, the teacher here, early on in the, in the first chapter, dismantled hedonism, humanism, and existentialism. And, and just quickly what those mean again. Humanism being that, that meaning in life is found by the betterment of others in the world. Hedonism, that meaning in life is found by the betterment of me. And existentialism being that you you admit that meaning can't be found in the world, but go ahead and bootstrap it and be as good of a person as you can. And, And he dismantled all of those. To be able to say you can't find meaning in just trying to please yourself, just trying to please others or bootstrapping it and just, you know, gritting your teeth to bear it. So, what is the satisfaction of life's good things that's being said in here? And that's one of life's most important questions. And I'm not going to answer it right now. We're going to come back to it in a while. Now, there's a, there's a sub point in here. And uh, the, the, again, the point of this is not about personhood or sanctity of life or um, when a person becomes a person in, in a mother's womb. Yet there's points in here and other other places in the Bible that give us give us important clues that give us important things about what God has to say about about life. Um, it, it said in here. Moreover, it's not seen the sun uh, or anything yet finds rest rather rather than he and uh, you know the stillborn child is mentioned. In in verse three, and in there, it uses a term "child." It's talking about uh, a a person uh, in here. Our our country, you guys, has has made some include some conclusions, some very very big conclusions. Um, It's it's possible today for a woman to have an abortion for almost any reason. Okay, and listen, I am. I'm supportive of the right of parents that if if there is, if there is uh, the hard decision between the life of the mother and the life of the baby, I'm very supportive of, of the right of parents to be able to make that decision. Uh, I, I've walked with couples where they've had to make this decision of, all right, we've got this baby, but uh, the, we're being told that the baby is, is either, either right now the, the mom's life is endangered or... Very soon is going to be endangered, you know, and, and uh, walking, through, walking through that, which is a very, very hard, very agonizing um, decision uh, to be able to make. And I, I believe, I mean, I, I would, uh, I, I know it's hard, hard to admit it, but if it came to that, I would, I'd choose my wife. Man, my wife I'm, is, is going to live. But the freedom that our country is, has given for, for abortions is absolutely unconscionable. Um, the conclusions for some are this. It's a baby, but it's not wanted or it will not have a good upbringing. So therefore, the freedom, uh, the freedom to, uh, to end the life. Others conclude that it's not a child yet, um, but simply a mass of living flesh. Um, some, some presume, uh, and um, this presumes much biologically, it presumes a lot philosophically, um, some say that it, it's a child only when it has a beating heart. Some will say the soul or the mind doesn't exist until the brain is functioning. Again, there's, there's a lot of, there's biological ramifications. There's philosophical uh, ramifications to all this. Now, listen, my logic, speaking from me, and my logic tells me that a civil people would err on the side of compassion and justice. If, listen, if you're, if you're not sure, if you're not sure, Opt for life. If there's a possibility that we may unjustly take an innocent's life, err on the side of the innocent. Now, guys, the Bible does not indicate that there's a distinguishing point within the womb where the cells become a baby. It doesn't speak to that. It certainly does not say that they're not a baby until the heart beats or until birth. On the contrary, Scripture refers to a person in the womb. Just listen to the prose that King David Wrote in Psalm 139, verse 13 to 16. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. So again, talking about, he, he's mentioning about him as a person, and that God formed him as a person in, in the womb. And uh, I, I, I want to make something very clear, that because uh, and, and, I know that either in this service or in the next service or listening to this sometime in the future, there's going to be a lady or ladies you know, that you've had an abortion and I want you to know, man. There is there is mercy and there is grace and there's so much forgiveness that's found in Jesus Christ. And and if if you've walked through that but have not have not found peace in Christ yet, then then man, come 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 to me. Come. I mean, we got we got ladies here. We got uh, we got we got Judy uh, in in here. We got Karen. We got Danielle. We got Wendy. We got many many ladies that can you can speak with and and counsel with, so that you're able to know that it's not the unpardonable sin that that God is a God of forgiveness and grace, and he'll make you whole again. He'll bring restoration to your heart to where you don't walk around haunted. He's not a God of haunting. He's a God of mercy and grace and forgiveness and will press you forward into life rather than you being anchored by by a decision. Um, So know that. Know that God loves you so much. And, And there are so many, so many big and small sins out there. And God, there there's no sin that's bigger than the pool of mercy and grace that, that uh, Jesus brought to us. Um, so, I, you know, I mean, again, a major theme in today's teaching is unanswered questions when you don't know what to do. And I mean, in, in, in life in general, when you don't know what to do, don't risk injustice if you don't know what to do. And, and don't risk a person's life if you don't know what to do. And, and regarding specifically this subpoint of the unborn, here's my plea. I mean, if, if you're going to err, err on the side of compassion. If you're going to err, err on the side of life. If you're going to err, err on the side of the marginalized. If you're going to err, err by standing by those who can't speak for themselves. And so I. And I, just, I, I place that before you, and just ask the Lord to do a great work in us of both, of both uh, of, that we'd have a strong stand and in, in wanting to wanting to fight for the for the, the lives of, of the innocent, and the unborn, and at the same time with such a love for any for, who sin and who sin in the way of abortion, just like any other sin, that we're we're so inclusive, saying, "Come, come to the Jesus that forgave me of all of my sins as well." If, uh, if you need prayer, if you need counsel, man, fi- find me. Find one of us, and let's, let's talk. Let's process through. Verse 7, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is, is not satisfied. The philosophy professor is telling us what we know. Their appetites, they're insatiable. Um, just a couple nights ago, we, we celebrated my, my dad's 75th birthday, and uh, we went to top of the river, and, and gunnersville. and I don't know if you guys have ever been on top of the river, but you get you get whatever it is that you're going to order, and then they bring you uh, an infinite amount of cornbread and of pickled onions, and hopefully you order the turnip greens because they're out of sight. They're second only to my mom's, and uh, they're they're just unbelievable. And so uh, that night we, we split we split a plate. Danielle and I did, and and, uh, and uh, man, i just just I had an infinite amount of of uh turnip greens and it was just they were just so good and, and by the end of it uh there was there was like 26 people eating eating dinner and and uh so I, I went around and you, you would have thought I was a, a beggar I, I went around and all the turnip greens and all the stuff that was left on the table and and that was still in the platters not on people's plates come on now but but what's still left in the, in the big the big bowls I went and got it all and so we went home with like grocery bags full of these styrofoam plates of turnip greens and onions and cornbread. and Oh, coleslaw. The coleslaw is unbelievable because why? My appetite was insatiable. It's such good food. We know that as far as our own taste buds and, and things for food. But it's, it points us to something because it's not just that. It's not just that area of life that is insatiable. I mean we are looking for pleasure all the time. We're looking for peace, we're looking for joy. And and everywhere we go and, and every every pot that we dip into, man, we can't we can't get filled up. I was pretty full that night. But guess what? The next day I woke up and and uh, I was I was hungry again. And that's how God has made us. In fact, Solomon speaks to this. He he spoke to this Uh, Earlier in Ecclesiastes 3.11, where he said, he's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put, listen, eternity into man's heart. Eternity into man's heart. That that means, it means that we have an insatiable appetite that will not be filled until we reach Jesus. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, some of y'all learned this, some of y'all been teaching your kids this, some of y'all hadn't been exposed to it. I wasn't growing up, but have been now, and I love it. I love these catechisms, love catechizing our our kids. And and the very first question is, what's the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and what? Enjoy him forever. Enjoy him forever. The first time I saw that, I was like, what in the heck does enjoying God have to do with it? I mean, glorify God, you're supposed to, supposed to be the chief end of man is glorify God by doing all the stuff God wants you to do, Right? Enjoy, uh, to glorify God by being a righteous person, right? It's like, no, these guys got it. It's like, no, no, if you understand that you have an insatiable appetite that not even ministry, not even the stuff that God wants you to do will ever fill it, only God himself. So that's what I'm calling you to. That's what we're calling one another together to is, is not just come together, bootstrap it, and let's be better people. It's like, come together, admit we're not good people, and we just say, God, we get you, God says, "Yeah, you got me." So we just, man, we just flop on His lap. They say, "Man, God, I'm, I'm a mess. I'm glad I'm in Your hands." Insatiable. I mean, it's part of the reason why sojourn our, our DNA statement, in and of itself, it, it tells us that we're imperfect disciples of Christ that desire to glorify God by enjoying Him, by enjoying His bride, and by enjoying His mission. That's who we are as a church. And then, and then we further encapsulate that down by just saying, you know, what are we all about? Jesus, community, mission. It's, it's that, it, enjoying all those, Enjoy God. Enjoy community. Enjoy his mission together. God help us. Verse 8 says, uh, What advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to con- conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This all says vanity and a striving after after the wind, uh, just a couple comments on on this. It, it talks about a, a poor man in here, and and certainly a poor man, a poor man. It, it's always a relative, a relative term. A poor man always is somebody who doesn't have something that's somebody else, somebody else has. You don't, you don't have something, and 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 we can all, we can all. They selfishly relate ourselves to being poor men and poor women sometimes. And we're not, you know. I mean, I. I, I think it's interesting the the uh, um, the whole ninety nine percent versus one percent debate that's going on in our country. When when we and we in this country are the one percent of the world, we're so stinking rich compared to the rest of the world. We're so blessed. We're so blessed. I mean, I, even when I come back from East Africa or other third world countries, I come back and I and I look even at our, at our government subsidized. Uh, units in our in our city, and I'm like, man, there's there's air conditioning, and there's many of them. There's there's TV, and and, and uh, I mean, there's there, it's solid. There's no roo- leaky roofs, and and, and uh, they have that they they've got space there, and and uh, um, I mean, there's always more to do for the poor. Don't don't hear me wrong. There's always, there's a lot more to do in our city for those that are marginalized, and where injustice is being given. But again, comparatively speaking, man, we're just we're just so well off uh, in in this country, you know. But but in here, you kind of see that there's hints of an unwise poor man and a wise poor man. And the unwise poor man, basically, is the person who says, I see, I desire, and I'm just frustrated. And that's what life is. I see what all is out there, and I want it. And you live a life of frustration. That's an unwise poor man. Well, what's the, what would a wise poor man do? I see, I submit to God. And I'm grateful for what He gives me. Does it mean that we should all be lazy and we shouldn't be pressing forward with goals and objectives? No, 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 not at all. We should be driven people with God's mission. But at the same time, man, as we start looking at what others people have versus what, what we have, we just need to be so grateful. Just, I mean, God, I'm, I'm, I'm so very blessed. Verse 10. Whatever has come, whatever has come to be has already... Been named, and it is known what man is, and it is that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what, advan- what is the advantage to the man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? All right, see, now we kind of get back to the beginning. If you look in verse 12 again. Who knows what is good for a man while he lives a few days of his life? It's that whole thing. It's like, well, okay, you know, how, how do I know? How do I know what, what, what the right things are and, and what, what real life is? Because it says it's better, it's better for me to live a fulfilled, it's better, it's better to be dead than to live an unfulfilled life. Then what is it? What is that, un, what is that fulfilled life? It's, that other part says, in, but who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? And I think, uh, again, it, it, there's a tension it's being brought there by Solomon is like, look, you guys are all after, man, you're all after peace, you're all after love, all After after joy, all after relationships, you're after meaning in life, and you're not finding it. What do you do with that? And who is it that's authoritative that could actually tell you, that could actually tell you what it is? There's uh, there's books and there's, there's shows out there that have interviews of people that are uh, supposedly died, came back after a few minutes. Maybe they were in heaven for a few minutes, and and uh, you got some people telling the story that I mean, there was bright lights and it was warm and cozy. You got others just saying, "Man, it was it was dark. There was dark and there was fear and there was dread." And honestly, in the middle of all those stories, I've never really heard a compelling one. I've heard provocative stories, but I've never heard one that was really compelling. Now, now listen, if if you could hear someone who died and came back, and it's like, it was real. It was real. and You knew it, you know. At least you really believed it. I mean, would you want to know what they have to say? I mean, wouldn't there be, you just think, mean, there's some kind of perspective they're going to have. And it deals with this, again, it's like, well, meaning of life. I mean, maybe this dude who died and, and came back, maybe they're going to give me some clues on, on the meaning of, of life. I mean, if you had access to somebody that, that died and came back, I mean, would you, would you want to ask them some of your un- unanswered questions? Would you, would you want to know any kind of, any kind of inkling of, that they've got of, of here's better how to live life? Man, of course you would. I would too. And in fact, again, I mean, today's chapter again shows how many unanswered questions that we have. I mean, what if there were someone who knew the answers? Good news. There's somebody. Good news. There is a credible source of someone who died, and they came back. Good news, there is a man who, even before he died, said that he was going to come back to life. Good news, there was a guy, crazy as it sounds, he said, I'm God. Now, what if, what if we started going to him for answers? I mean, th- guys, this is my favorite part. This is my favorite part of the sermons when I get to connect it back to Jesus. It's Jesus. I mean, what, what, did, he, what did he say? I mean, there's just, let me just take you just to, to one portion of Scripture where he deals with two things that he said before his death while he's dying. Matthew 27, 38 to 43. This is amazing. Think about this in the context. These guys are referring to things Jesus proclaimed about himself. Verse 38. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. All those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. You know what that just means? You guys know? It's Jesus, you know? They're saying, you who, who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. I mean, so, so they're pointing back to that time when Jesus said, man, you know, I'll, I will tear down this temple and rebuild it in three days. And, of course, they thought he was talking about the actual temple. He was talking about his temple. He was talking about his body that, that was going to die. And he himself was going to be the authority and rebuild his own life. And so they're referring to that. Verse 40, 41, so also the chief priests with other scribes and elders mocked him and saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Some people have said, Jesus never claimed to, to be the, uh, the son of God. Jesus said it multiple times, and here they are. They're saying, you even said it. And that's part of the reason, one of the, the, excuse me, the primary reason why they killed him, because it was a capital offense to bring equality between yourself and God. And so they proclaimed, they proclaimed, you said that you would rebuild the temple after three days, being his own body is what he meant. And they said, you're God. And if you're really God, you could come down from that cross. If you're really God, you can come and prove yourself. And Jesus Jesus inside himself, I, I don't know what he was, what, exactly what he was thinking, but, but in, in some way I bet he's just thinking, well, I'm going to, but just not in the way that you think. It's not going to happen yet. i got to finish this. i got to finish this. And that's probably part of the reason why he was just even looking down to him. They're down there wagging their heads and mocking, spitting at him. And he looked at his dad and just said, Father, forgive them. They just don't know. They just don't know what they're doing. I, I don't know what all it is that you struggle with. I know we all have hang-ups. I do. You do. We've got, we've got the, again, we've got the things where we just like to debate it on a night and journey group or just over, uh, over dinner with, with people and things we're just like, well, you know, and sometimes you'll play devil's advocate. Devil's advocate, by the way, is okay sometimes, but don't always be the devil. You don't, don't always be devil's advocate, you know. That'll just tick people off, all right? But, uh, but you've got those kind of things, but then again, you've got the things that, that really that really affect you. They affect whether you have real happiness, real joy in your life. They affect where you have real peace or, or purpose, Whether you, where you're able to really get up in the morning because you've got hope in your life. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what they are, these unanswered questions. Um, but they're important. God loves you and loves your unanswered questions. He loves you enough to be the God that you can come to. And, and, and here's, here's my assignment for you guys. Um, I mean, with... Here, this, today, what this is, this is Sojourn gathered, And everything else we do through our groups is called Sojourn Scatter. And I just challenge you, as you go out to your groups, as you meet together this week, and if you're not in a group, man, talk to me, talk to one of us, and let's get you plugged in uh, to a discipleship group that's somewhere in the metro area. Um, and, but my, my challenge for you is that between now and the time that you meet up with them or get together with other Christians, that you would, that you would think through what, what are my legitimate unanswered questions what are what are the things especially and I, and I mean the things that you just like to debate about that that's okay that may be what you what you think about but the primary thing though is what are the things that make you stumble what are the things that break your heart what are the things that paralyze you what what is it that's that's dealing that you're dealing with and 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 ask ask the people you're with it's like what What do you guys do with those? And and how do you you embrace mystery in, in in the middle of that? Solomon had a lot of questions. There was a lot of mysteries, and so do we. we got a lot of mysteries. and Some things you're going to get answers to, but some you never will. In this broken world with many questions, what we need more than we need answers to the questions is we need a God who's in charge instead of us. Instead of of having a step for God, we need the actual God. We need a God who never changes, even when we're puzzled. We need a God that no matter how hard we pray, no matter how hard we whine or complain, He only does what is best in the big picture. We need this God more than anything else. And you know what's great is we have him. You've got him. You've got this God. He's with you right now. You're going to go to your grave with some unanswered questions. It's okay, you guys. Is it okay, is it okay to, to ask the questions and to pursue the answers? It's okay. Pursue them. But don't bank your peace on getting an answer there. Bank your peace on the God who has the answer. In just a second, we're gonna we're gonna have communion. But but what I uh, what I challenge you to do is that that you would uh, take some time to, to reflect and uh, that that you would uh, that you would understand that this is a God that has not left you alone. He's not just left you to your own vices uh, and left you to to your own pit that you're in. This is a God that entered into this world because he loves you. He loves you. This is a God that the greatest demonstration of his love wasn't even that he became a human, but that he died for us. That he actually took our sins upon him and died with them and paid the entire price for every one of those sins. And so when we go to this table, here's what I want us to do today um, uh, is because I mean, many times, I mean, there's times when you, you just need to be solemn. And, and uh, no, no matter what we revere, we respect this time. There's times, though, that you just need You need to be more just you Need time of lamentation. You need time, not condemnation, but a time of just like, God, I'm sorry. I'm just sorry for my sin. Knowing that you're not condemned. Knowing that you're not separated. Um, but, man, I challenge you today that, man, that, that as you process through that, and you process your sin, as you think through the things that, that sent Jesus to the cross, that, that something would well up inside of you today. And there would be a celebration of grace that would take place in you. And that as you go, as you take of the elements, as you take that, take that cracker and you dip it either in the wine or in, in, in the uh, juice, and you go and you, you have a, a loan or in a group that you, that you have a time of, of prayer, man, that, that you just prepare yourself to celebrate grace. I, I, and I just challenge us with this, From uh, 1 Corinthians 11. This is what he said. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as you go today, you're proclaiming his death and you're also proclaiming his resurrection. You're saying Jesus is God the Son and he's forgiven me. I'm no longer condemned. Sin no longer is on my shoulders because it was already on Jesus' shoulders and you can go fully free. Now, if you're not a Christian in here, let today be the day that you surrender. Let today be the day you just say, that's it, white flag moment. I don't, need to, I don't need myself a savior anymore because I'm a horrible savior. I surrender to Jesus. Let today be the day. I invite all of y'all to Jesus today. I invite you who are sinners that are lost to surrender and be a Christian today. I invite all you sinners who are saved You thank God that he doesn't call you sinner anymore, but he calls you saint. Let's pray.